I'm Andrew Knight, and you're listening to the Music Therapy Research Podcast. On this episode of the Music Therapy Research Podcast, Dr. Lagasse and I will be interviewing Dr. Petra Kern and Dr. Daniel Tagg, and I'll read you a little bit of their bios, although they are also to be found at musictherapyresearchblog.com with a couple other links from this particular episode. Dr. Kern is the owner of Music Therapy Consulting, an adjunct associate professor at the University of Louisville, and editor-in-chief of the online magazine called Imagine. She is former president of the World Federation for Music Therapy and currently sits on the board of directors for the Certification Board for Music Therapy. And she's a recipient of the American Music Therapy Association's Research and Publications Award. Dr. Daniel Tagg is assistant professor and chair of music therapy at Southern Methodist University. With experience as a teacher, clinician, blogger, and researcher, he currently serves as chair of the Clinical Practice Commission of the World Federation for Music Therapy. And we talked to them uh, more in depth uh, at, in this episode on a recent publication that they have in the September, uh, that was published in September 2017 anyway, uh, in Journal of Music Therapy. And the title of the work uh, that we also have a link to in the blog is called Music Therapy Practice, Status, and Trends Worldwide in International Survey Study. And so that was a fascinating look at uh, uh, so many music therapists in so many different countries, regions of the world, and uh, their relationship to this profession of music therapy. And uh, as usual with uh, doctors Tag and Kern, we asked them a little bit more about how they got into research, how they got interested in the first place, and of course, um, where they think research is going for music therapy in the future. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy our podcast with Dr. Petra Kern and Dr. Daniel Tag. Pleased to be joined on the podcast for the Music Therapy Research Blog today by Dr. Petra Kern and Dr. Daniel Tagg, and we'll begin with um, one of the questions that we like to ask all of our guests on the podcast, which is, what got you interested in music therapy research? And, and Dr. Petra Kern, let's begin with you. Yes, Andrew, thank you for first for having us on your research blog, also uh, play. So, and throughout my career, it was always about finding answers to clinical questions. So what works for my clients or more recently, better understanding of where this profession stands. So in clinical work, if I can't find the answer in the research literature, then I'm curious to find out for myself which my music therapy intervention works and uh, to achieve therapeutic goals. So as you well know, one of my first uh, studies was with a little boy with visual impairments. Then I did a series of uh, studies with children with autism spectrum disorder and then an intergenerational research, which is just going on right now. And so in all of those research endeavors, I always had a question where I just wanted to find the answer. In organizational work, it's if members and other stakeholders are coming forward with repeating questions about the status of the profession in various areas, or you know when we wanted to have a starting point of our making comprehensive plan to move forward with uh, our profession. That was true for the research survey study I did in collaboration with colleagues for the ASD, for the AMTA strategy strategic priority on music therapy and ASD. And the second example is the research which I did with Daniel, the International Survey Study, 
for the World Federation of Music Therapy Strategic Plan. But I'm also interested in disseminating knowledge in my area of expertise, which is early childhood, autism spectrum disorder, and organization topics. And that is the reason why we publish the online magazine Imagine on an annual basis. And well, your research snapshot section, uh, Andrew and Blythe, is a cornerstone of keeping our clinicians up to date. So that's basically what interests me about music therapy research and then also the dissemination. Thanks, Petra. And, and thank you both for uh, having us on, on this program. Um, my interest in research probably started back when I was not even a music therapy uh, major in school when I was a history student. And just working on historical research, it was always interesting to me. And then after that, working in a hospital while I was a student, uh, while I was a history student, and seeing music happening in the hospital, trying to bring music to uh, patients, even though I wasn't a music therapist at the time, I didn't even know music therapy existed. But just looking at how music can be so powerful and just starting to wonder, you know, can music really help people in these kinds of situations, in these kinds of settings? So it started really piquing my interest even, even back then. Uh, then once becoming a, a music therapist, again, the same with uh, Petra, you know, seeing what's happening with our clients, wondering why is this working? How can it work better than that? Uh, is there something that I could do differently? How do I explain this to the, the clients themselves or to their caregivers or the other professionals? Um, also, thinking back to when I was in school for music therapy, just having good teachers, you know, having good teachers really got me interested in, in research. Uh, you know, some of the people, Alicia Clare, Alice Andero, people like some of our, you know, luminaries in the field who have so much research behind them and just their interest in research and their excitement for research really got me interested in, in doing that. Uh, then when we come even more recent, uh, obviously the the work that Petra and I have done together, um, we were interested in that for some similar reasons because both of us have been working with the World Federation of Music Therapy on uh, in different roles, and then just the questions that come up so often about you know what's happening with the profession, you know how do we explore. Uh, more expanding music therapy around the world? How do we help people who are interested in different clinical processes and things like that? Thank you both for telling us a little bit about your research background and what made you interested in research. What we wanted to ask you about now is um, your current projects. Tell us a little bit about what you are working on right now. I'll uh, send that to you, Petra. So Daniel, I we just published our international survey study with uh, 2,495 participants in the Journal of Music Therapy in September. And since this is our joint research, maybe we should talk about this a little bit and then later I can tell you a little bit about more what I'm doing with another colleague right now. But in the international survey study, uh, the purpose was to obtain descriptive data about the current demographics, practice status, clinical trends, and we wanted to have the data to inform music therapy advocacy efforts and training needs, and as well to look into the sustainability of the field. Daniel, would you like to talk a little bit about the involvement was part of that study? Yes, sure, Petra. Um, so one of the reasons that we were 
checking into the demographics and the clinical practices is my role with the World Federation of Music Therapy as the commissioner for the clinical practice and just trying to find out what kinds of things are similar across the world as far as clinical practice and what what might be involved if uh, if people wanted to start moving, have more mo- mobility between countries with clinical practice and things like that. And some of our results, uh, Petra, did you want to talk about that? Sure. We probably should uh, back up a little bit and say that we had uh, 19 professional member organization affiliated with the World Federation being part of that study, which was really a big deal because we had so big distribution around the world uh, of hearing from music therapy clinicians from all well all but one area region of the world so that was special and so what we found i think one of the positive outcomes we found which we were were very happy about is that worldwide we found that music therapists are well educated and they have professional experiences uh, that follow basic standards of clinical practice. So each of them are following a therapeutic process. And that was actually one of the big questions uh, many people had around the world and were posted to me as the president of the World Federation of Music Therapy beforehand uh, is, is there a standard of clinical practice around the world? Do we all have uh, sets of um comprehension and and competences and so forth. And so we can say through this study with this um, poll of people that they were all well-educated and actually followed a standard of practice. A second outcome we found is still fundamental issues we have in the profession, which were actually reported from the beginning of our profession and they're still there. And those are related to employment, to underpayment, to lack of recognition, governmental regulations. So those are ongoing barriers we have and hinder our field for the global expansion of music therapy. And so for the third outcome, where we're asking the respondents how they see the future of music therapy and what we should do, uh, so we all should continue with the advocacy efforts, of course, with the research efforts, with advanced training and also looking into global perspectives. So those are crucial for the development of the field worldwide. And so we are telling to organizational leaders uh, and also the dedicated individuals who bring the profession forwards to be progressive and uh, also look into innovative strategies to move the field forward. Also talking just to, just to um for lack of a better term, kind of nerd out on the methodology and everything. I think you, you laid it out in the study and we'll let people, um, obviously, who can read it in the Journal of Music Therapy, they can see uh, where you had the qualitative parts and, and the analysis there, which I thought was nicely laid out. Um, but I wanted to dig into your perception of some of the results. So I highlighted a couple of them here, and I'm wondering if you would, um, if, if you'd both uh, chime in a little bit. The first one that I thought was interesting was that nearly half of the respondents, which was 48.7%, had a second job in addition to music therapy. And then you had examples like if they were considered music therapist and they were also doing music education, or if they were doing, uh, if they were a performer on the side, piano teacher. And uh, what do you think that says? Uh, internationally, I'll toss this uh, to you, uh, Dr. Tag. To uh, just what were your, what were some of your impressions about why do you suppose that internationally about fifty percent have this second job? And and I wonder if that sets off alarm bells for some people, or if that's uh, that's kind of always been a norm in lots of different uh, professions that are similar to ours. Yeah, that's a really good question. And honestly, I think it it 
maybe not alarm bells, but perhaps a little yellow flag waving uh, that that people are not full full time employed, and it is something that's happening in, in a lot of the different countries. Um, and a lot of times, the countries where we they don't have a recognition of music therapy as a as part of a government um, regulation. In many of those, people are not able to find that full time employment. Um, so it's definitely something to look into, to be concerned about. And a lot of people were saying that, and also in some of the in the qualitative, the open-ended questions, you know, they were really expressing the need for advocacy for trying to somehow increase the uh, the prospects for full-time employment. Yes, for me, it's definitely a yellow flag, if not even more, because I think, you know, if people need to work a second job, and that also correlates with the work hours, so we had most of them working one to nine hours a week, so that's really not making a living for a family. And in that regards, I think we really need to think as a profession how we can we increase the income and the caseload for people around the world who are in that profession. One of the findings that I found interesting was how worldwide it seems like psychodynamic approach was one of the the foremost with 33.6%. And then a smaller number of uh, participants from the survey had other approaches from neurologic music therapy, Nordoff Robbins music therapy. And I was just wondering what your take is on that finding when we're looking at music therapy um, from a worldwide perspective. I'll, I'll pass that to you, um, Daniel. Okay. And I think that most of that is just historically around the world. Uh, those approaches are more prominent. And even even in the United States, uh, you know, the behavioral approach or, or other more um, data-driven approaches have really expanded. But in many of the other countries, those approaches have been more traditional. In fact, we did not list, we purposely did not list all of the different approaches that that exist out there, but we had only been putting the approaches on the survey that were identified at one of the previous uh, World Federation um, conferences so that we had something to go on for the survey itself. Yeah, I've, I've got one more uh, question just on the results of this particular study. I mean, we could go on for a long time because it is such a, a, a large <laughs> and robust study with, you know, almost 2,500 uh, respondents do. And this happens to be on my mind because at, at here at Colorado State University, I happen to be teaching our mental health uh, methods course right now. And mental health came out first uh, in terms of kind of the areas uh, with uh, s- about 17% of the music therapists in the study um, uh, addressing that particular area as opposed to, as an example, I think third place was older adults. And I'm wondering, do you see that changing in light of uh, longevity statistics? Um, as, in, in example, you know, in America, we're always thinking about, uh, you know, lately the baby boomers and we're thinking about what's going to happen down the line and how many more music therapists might be needed for older adults. And what about autism um, prevalence? Uh, changing over time. Do you did you look at these data and and did you have any sense that that those top three or top four might move around a, a little bit? And and Petra, maybe I'll start with you on that one because I did mention autism and that's one of the areas uh, that I know you study. And then we can uh, uh, go to Daniel for his take on that. So Andrew, actually, the mental health setting 
was one of the original settings music therapists started with. So around the world, that's actually a steady setting. And uh, going back to Plyth's uh, question, I think that makes also sense that people using a psychodynamic approach, a psychoanalytic approach with this population, right? So that's also probably an answer to your question, Blythe. What we saw from the historical part is actually the medical field that that ranked in a different uh, number than than the other ones. You said that, Andrew, you saw that the old adults actually bypassed medical uh, music therapy. So that's probably with the population around the world getting older that we see that. Maybe it's also an expression of many of the Asian music therapists now participating in the study and in worldwide music therapy endeavors. And uh, that is their population they work with. When we have been in Japan, we had a lot of uh, presentation at the World Congress of Music Therapy on the older adults population. And so maybe that also shifts where we're going with the field if you look from a global perspective. In terms of the population we serve, autism spectrum disorder is the most served population around the world as it came out from our study with all the participants we had. So this is the top population we serve around the world. I, I think that we were surprised because you hear so much about about the medical field, you know, expanding and there's so much uh, going on right now with research, specifically in the medical practice, especially in the United States. And so I think we were surprised that still the traditional um, developmental disabilities and mental health, you know, older adults, um, that they still are are the biggest portions of where music therapists are working and, and the types of clients that they're working with. Now, again, when you look at region by region or country by country, there are definitely some some differences. And we, you know, we are examining that in certain in certain of the countries, just like Petra was saying with AMTA. So there are going to be some differences, but it was still I, I think we were a little bit surprised. Um, so thank you both and congratulations on the publication. It was really a joy to read. Um, I'm going to ask a different question now. Uh, Dr. Tig, what are you working on in your research right now? Yes, right now, really extensions currently of of our study. Um, we tried to put as much as we possibly could into the first publication. But of course, there are limits and constraints um, with, with any publication. So we didn't put everything in there. So right now, working on the a, a bigger explanation, a more detailed analysis of some of the open-ended questions, the questions about the global certificate, the question about the prediction of the future of music therapy, and trying to really go in and, and describe, maybe in a little bit more qualitative fashion, some of the interesting findings, specifically with those two questions, and then also some of the other questions where we had some open-ended places where people could write other and, and put some other kinds of answers. So really looking to extend uh, some of the dissemination of information from this current study. And same question for you, Dr. Kern. What are you um, most interested in and where's your research at right now? 
Yeah, so I'm working with Daniel on that extension for now. But another study I'm working on is with my colleague Michael Deckner right now at the University of Lowell. And he is the PI on that study on an intergenerational study. And we were looking at um, if children, if they're together with older adult, adult folks in a music therapy session, if they will improve their alphabet knowledge and receptive voc vocabulary skills. And we were all looking for the older adults if they will increase their physical functioning and self-worth and then also looking into the intergenerational interactions between the two groups. So that's uh, a study which was very lovely <laughs> and we are just about analyzing the data right now and we'll present some of the data and uh, clinical protocol at the AMTA conference in November. We like to uh, wrap up by asking a couple of questions that asks that ask our guests to sort of zoom out and look at um, something broader about the field uh, and, and research in music therapy in particular. So let me go back to you, Dr. Kern. What do you see as the future for music therapy research, uh, whether you're thinking uh, just broadly uh, for the profession, uh, if you're thinking about some of the different associations that you're looking at uh, that are part of the uh, World Federation for Music Therapy or in your particular uh, areas in intergenerational and early childhood, autism, and some of the different areas you've uh, published on. So, so the question for you, Dr. Kern, is what do you see as the future for music therapy? So in terms of the international survey study, I think it would be really interesting to repeat this uh, every 10 years to track the development of the professions. I think this study is now the baseline of where we stand and now we can look where we're going and, and track uh, the progress of our field. But I also think broadly in my research areas, it's always um, a need for evidence-based practice and looking into research for early childhood family-centered practice, inclusion practice. I also like to see more technology and interactive media practice uh, or research going on, topics we address in issues of imagine, but finding that there is not much research done in our field. Um, in terms of autism spectrum disorder, I would like to see our field move into evidence-based practice status by following the um, outlines of related field, the related fields. And from an organizational leadership standpoint, what would interest me is to see what motivates the Generation C to volunteer or to take leadership within a nonprofit organization. I think that's something we should tackle as a profession and especially as an organization. And same question to you, uh, Dr. Tay. What do you see as the future for music therapy research? I well, I think I would like to echo what Petra was saying. Definitely about our current study. Um, definitely important to maybe revisit this. I don't know if it would be us because it was a huge project, <laughs> much more work than we realized. Um, but definitely to revisit in a number of years, probably ten years, like she said, and see see what's changed. It's very interesting to me in my current work with the World Federation um, about people who want students who want to do an internship somewhere else, people who want to try to go work in a different country um, and just the work that might be available to them. So just trying to to zoom in maybe a little bit on that and some of the specific countries, uh, I'm actually working with some students who have interest in, in working abroad and trying to help them develop some resources where they might be able to uh, 
do that. And maybe then they have those resources that they can share with others in that same kind who, who have that same interest. Um, and again, right now, just really focused on still examining. We had so much information that came from the survey and there's still so much to share. So just really trying to get into some more details about what we found out um, with this study. Um, and other things, you know, and the, my other parts uh, uh, of my work have ranged from everything from medical research to work with mental health to, uh, and then I had just started working with some um, patients with chronic pain before I ended up having, uh, picking up and moving myself um, here to Texas just recently. So uh, we'll get everything restarted again fairly soon here in Texas, maybe with, uh, maybe with some more focused research on, on that, that type of, um, that area of, of chronic pain. So one of the other questions that we like to ask everyone is what advice do you have for new music therapy researchers? We'll start with you, Dr. Kern. Why should that be specifically for survey studies since many of our younger scholars are doing survey study or do you think it's general? Um, I'm asking in general, but if you want to focus on surveys, that's fine. Then why don't you do survey study and I do in general? Sounds great. <laughs> so I, I think in general, uh, to find a topic that you're passionate about and stay with that topic, that is one advice I want to give. Also being realistic about what you can do with the resources you have and be innovative with your clinical protocol, but conservative with the data analysis. And my final advice would be collaborate and accept feedback and always have in mind how your research can impact your clients, your colleagues and the field of music therapy. And I would echo what uh, um, Petra was saying about collaboration, especially with survey work. It was really important to have our key partners in, in the research um, study. And it really developed, I think, a sense of ownership and helped the survey study to be successful. And so I think we would both recommend that really trying to involve as many stakeholders in the research, in the survey research process as possible, so that those everybody feels like it belongs to them, which it really does, essentially. Um, and that way they, they have that sense of ownership and the excitement builds and there's much more involvement just all the way around. I think that, that that's really important. And it really, um, it helps the research, especially when you're talking about surveys, to be more successful because, as we know, we get a lot of surveys into our email box. Um, it's very easy to miss those. And so, you know, in looking for new ways to do some of that uh, survey research, we, we set out to at least try some new things. And I don't know, you know, we had... Uh, I guess some success, I'm not sure if it was absolutely successful, but really involving some social media, some different avenues to try to get people to respond to surveys past what's traditionally been done. Um, and so I think that that might be something that people would wanna think about in the future. Always being careful about what kinds of choices you offer. I think we were very careful in figuring out what questions to ask and how to ask them. And we had a lot of involvement from the stakeholders about the questions. But at the same time, we still have such a volume of, of data that came in that it's, it, it can feel very overwhelming. So 
obviously being very careful about what you ask and how you ask it. Yeah, absolutely. Always, uh, always an interesting and uh, different experience every time when you when you're coming up with your own survey. Thank you both for joining us today. And I'd like to also add my thanks to uh, Dr. Kern, Dr. Tag. Thank you not only for the contribution of the of your work and and the research in the article, but also for coming on the podcast. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the podcast associated with the Music Therapy Research Blog found at musictherapyresearchblog.com. Your hosts are Dr. Blythe Lagasse and Dr. Andrew Knight, music therapy faculty members at Colorado State University. If you enjoyed the podcast, please let us know by heading to iTunes and submitting a review and a rating. It only takes a minute and helps our visibility on the iTunes page tremendously. Thanks in advance.